We are going to turn now again to the book of Joshua, and uh, I am just enjoying what God is teaching us through the book of Joshua, and all the way till Christmas we're going to be here. And uh, this morning I'd like to just kind of take an interesting uh, introduction to the sermon, if I may. When, when, if you were to, to be in our home and visit us, you would find that when it comes to picking a movie out, you know, to watch a movie as a family, um, I'm l- likely the least consulted guy in the family, okay? And, and part of that might be because I've been known to pick some real loser movies in the past, and so I'm not trusted. But the other half of the reason, really, is because I have a, a higher taste in the genre of movies than my family members, and, and so some of them don't appreciate things like a good Western, you know, or, or a good war movie, you know, like these things. And so, so when it comes to these movies, I find that one of the things I like about those genres is that it's really clear who the good guys and the bad guys are. I mean, it's, the plot is rather simple to understand, and I'm kind of a simple guy. So, so you know, the good guys always win and the bad guys lose, and, and, and that's the way it works. But every so often, even in a Western, you get this twist, and in the middle of the movie, the good guy turns bad, and then you got to stay really alert, you know. I mean, the thing is that most Westerns are the kind of movies you could fall asleep like some members of our family do, during a movie and wake up later on and not have to harass the family to see how the movie is going because they always end the same, right? Well, not always because every so often there's a twist in the plot. There's a danger in approaching the book of Joshua as if it's just one of those easy good guy, bad guy plots. And of course we know that in essence it is. There is this incredible good guy, the Israelites, they got God on their side, and they're taking the land, and we know how it ends. And then there's the bad guys, the Canaanites, and they, they're going to lose, man, because God is against them. They have been so many years waiting for God to judge them, and they've only gotten worse over those years. So we kind of know that that's a, a basic plot. But don't fall asleep in Joshua. You know, we were wondering, should we in- install recliners in the pews or seat belts? I think we should install seat belts. Hang on, because there are a lot of twists and turns in Joshua that take you by surprise. And, and we're only into one chapter, and all of a sudden in chapter 2, verse 1, boom, there is this twist in the plot where someone that's on the bad guy side is actually a good guy. But it's not a guy, it's a girl. It's a woman who's a prostitute in Canaan, and God writes her into his story. It's incredible. You know, we would think, honestly, we would think in, in opening up the Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, that it would be obvious that Rahab just deserves to die along with Jericho because of the, the, the wicked practices of that people. And then a few chapters from now, when we get into chapter 6, we would assume that Achan, the leader of one of the tribes of Israel, would, would, would win and live throughout this whole experience, and yet he dies. Rahab lives, enters faith promises, Achan dies, and forfeits faith promises. Friends, you can't afford to fall asleep during Joshua because there's too many little twists and turns. And what is the issue? The issue is this, that the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, has the bead on one thing as he writes what goes in this holy book. 
What is it that it gets left out and what is it that goes in? And the bead is on faith. Where is the faith and where is the unbelief? Faith enters into this book and the Holy Spirit is zealous to make sure that we who are, are way down the line in the faith journey now in this age are going to read many examples of incredible faith in the, in the books of the Bible. Well, we ended last week receiving uh, part of chapter 1. We didn't have time to finish chapter 1. Let me just say that in verses 12 to 18 of Joshua 1, we have an interesting twist in the plot again. And the, and the twist in the plot is that there's two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's two and a half, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that get to up to the Jordan... And then in Numbers chapter 32, we read about what happens. They, they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we don't want to enter the land. We, we, we like this land on the east side of the Jordan. Let us stay here. This is good land. And so it disturbs Moses. Moses says, in fact, he's, he's grieved over this. And he says, don't you dare be like your forefathers and grieve the Lord. You're going to discourage your brothers and sisters from going in to take the land and fight the enemy. But they don't listen to it. They, they are headstrong on wanting what they want. And so, so instead of us seeing some kind of obliteration of that group or something, we, we see God concede. Very interesting Moses says, okay, you can have that land on one condition, and that is that you go ahead of your brothers and sisters, and you be the spear, the tip of the spear, as we go into Canaan, you cross Jordan first, and you begin to fight, and then when we're all entering our rest, you can go back to the east side and enter yours. And they agree. The thing that we learn about faith in this, in this story of the two and a half tribes is that we can forfeit blessing from God. We can actually, it's possible to forfeit some of the blessings and settle for less. Be careful what you ask for. God will sometimes give you what you ask for if you press in hard enough, headstrong. The level of our Christian experience has a lot to do with the choices that we make. You may choose to live in a wilderness experience on the edge of the promised land, but never really tasting of the promises that come by walking in faith. You can choose to live your Christian experience on the edge of the Jordan and, and go throughout this whole life that way. But you will have forfeited the incredible blessings that God has for you. That's what we learn from these two and a half tribes. And of course, all... All choices have their consequences. And we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and beginning with verse 23, we read in that passage the consequences to these two and a half tribes making this choice. You see, they are the first group of people that the king of Assyria kills and comes after, and only a remnant survive. They are the ones that are, that are first attacked by Assyria. It's interesting because before that occurs, in Judges chapter 5 or 16, there's a very interesting verse. I don't have time to land on it long, but it just says this. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Interesting, eh? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. You know, I think that many people come to the golden years of their lives, and they get to a place where there's much searching of heart. Because they look back on surveying, surveying their lives and they say, did I settle for less than what God's best was for me? 
You know, we don't, we don't have to do that. Today can be a day of faith for every one of us. Well, in Judges, in Joshua, I should say, last week we talked about a question, how do the people of God enter into his blessings? That's really all about what Joshua is talking about. But in chapter 2, as the focus shifts, we get the focus off of Israel onto a Canaanite woman. And the question that we're answering today in the message is, how does someone who's not part of the people of God enter into the blessings of faith? So would you take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, uh, but we are going to talk about the whole chapter. And so we'll just read the first portion of Joshua chapter 2. And if you'll stand with me now, we'll hear God's word. <clears throat> then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. Now, just let's take a break there for a moment. Okay, here's, here's Joshua sending a reconnaissance mission into the promised land. Check out Jericho. And what do we see at the end of verse 1? They end up at a prostitute's house. I think that if, if he had any kind of a surveillance cameras on these guys or GPSs, Joshua would be a little worried right now. <laughs> Have my guys lost their way? Let's move on. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that we that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. May God bless his word to us. Let's end there. You may be seated. If you open up the pages of the New Testament, you only have to read five verses to find the name Rahab listed there. Five verses. And there is the name of this prostitute from Jericho in Canaan. She is listed not just there as, as a, by chance. She is listed there as part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Incredible. She is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. 
How did she get there? How did she get into the line of Jesus? She got there by faith. And if you were to move on in the New Testament and you were to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you were to read through that incredible hall of fame of all the faith heroes in the Old Testament, you would have again Rahab listed along with Abraham and Moses and David. How did she get there? She got there by faith. And if you were to open up the book of James in chapter 2, verse 25, and you were to see, uh, again, examples of faith being talked about there, Abraham and so on, you'll find the name Rahab again. How did she get there? (laughs) She got there by faith. Incredible. Incredible portion of Scripture. She got there by faith because that's what the Holy Spirit is following as He writes out scripture. And the remarkable thing is that she's not remembered in the New Testament as the prostitute from Jericho. In fact, if that's all she ever was, we would know nothing about Rahab at all, and neither would the New Testament. But there came a day when faith came knocking at Rahab's door. And as faith came knocking at her door, she had a decision to make. She would either welcome faith knocking at the door and open it, with a soft heart, or she would harden her heart and close the door and blow the whistle on these two spies. In the moment that she opened the door and saw the two Israelite spies, in that exchange that she had that night, she had an opportunity to rewrite her life story. And everything that defined Rahab up until that part of her life Everything that defined her up till now could define the rest of her life, and that's how she could die as an old woman. But she chose to open the door to faith, and God began to write the rest of the story of Rahab's life. Before I move on too quickly, I want to just pause for a moment and say that someone listening to this message perhaps feels as though they've been defined by their past. They've been defined by sin or having been sinned against. You might have a reputation that follows you like a shadow. And, and, and you might be, it might be that it's true. It might be that only you think that of yourself. It might be that everybody thinks that of you. Your past has defined you. And it's like a prison. Just like Rahab's room in the wall of Jericho might have been like a prison for her where men visited every night. God wants you to know that He can take a godless prison and turn it into a glorious opportunity. God can take a house of ill repute and turn it into a haven of rest, a den of iniquity, and make it a refuge for sinners. Rahab opened the door of her heart to God, and God wrote the second half of her story And so instead of being remembered for her past sins, she was remembered for her faith and became an example to all of us. I remember the very first time that I met Pastor Alf Bell. It was in Kenora. He was an interim pastor there. And I went to visit him. I was on home assignment from Bolivia. And I remember the very first thing. I walked in his office, and on the wall there was the saying that says, Never forget, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. So faith came knocking at Rahab's door. 
How did faith came, come knocking to her door? And how is it that faith comes knocking at our door? I want to say this, that it comes through providential circumstance. Faith comes knocking at our doors so many times because of providential circumstance. The word providence is a wonderful word that defines how it is that faith comes into our lives and we have an opportunity to say yes to God or to no to God. The word providence actually comes from the Latin word and it's actually a compound word which means to see ahead. And it came to mean literally that it had the idea of God's intervention in our lives, God's intervention in our world, because God sees ahead. God is omniscient. God knows what's coming. Do you believe in God's intervention? Do you believe in God's providence in your life? What we learn from the story of Rahab is that faith often enters through providential circumstance. We can imagine Rahab going to the door that evening, wondering which of the Jericho customers was at her door that evening, only to open the door and instead of finding one man, she finds two, and not, not Canaanite men, but Israelite men. This tribe, is this company of, of, of a nation that is covering the land, uh, fear reports are spread all throughout. Two Israelite men are at her door inside these huge walls of Jericho. What are the chances of that happening? That's one of the questions that Providence asks, you say. Faith asks the question, what are the chances of that happening? And then beyond that, these two men, these Israelite men, they're not asking for sex. What are the chances of that at a prostitute's house? Faith opened the door and received them. What are the chances that out of 10,000 applicants that you could be chosen to be in the first amazing race in Canada? And what are the chances that having been entered that you might win the first amazing race in Canada? <laughs> you see, people would say, well, that's luck or that's chance or that's whatever you want to call it. God's Word calls it providence. providential circumstance. What do you do with what God sends your way? And so faith is knocking on the door and it is welcomed. Once faith enters your life through providential circumstance, you see you have a decision to make. You can close the door or you can open it. You can welcome faith. Rahab welcomes faith. Verse 4, she took the two spies, hid them, and when the authorities came looking, she lied and, and she sent them on a wild goose chase. It was no small thing that Rahab did. The Israelite spies are completely at her mercy. All she had to do was say to the king's soldiers, they're upstairs on the roof. And they were done. No escape. But instead, she decides that she's going to side with Israel instead of her own people, and she's going to side with the God of Yahweh instead of all the pantheon of Canaanite gods that they worshipped in different scenarios. And in doing so, she lays her life on the line. It's not surprising that she's finding her way into the book of James, which says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. 
You see, genuine faith has to be accompanied by genuine deeds, by something of substance. Profession of faith verbally cannot stand alone. It has to be accompanied with the possession of a faith that steps out into what God has for us to do. If you don't read carefully this story, you might think, in fact, that it has nothing to do with, with actually what you believe, but just, just about deeds. And you would be wrong, because indeed, faith is never empty of propositional truth, as we learned from Rahab. Faith is not a step into the dark. God does not ask us to step into the dark and just accept without our brains being used whatever we might think of Him by somebody else. Faith is not stepping into the dark, it's stepping into the light, the light of knowledge, revelation, self-disclosure of God so that we can know Him better. And that's the way it was for Rahab as well. Look at verse 9. For a woman that was from a pagan country with no written scripture, she knows a lot about this God. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, that a great fear of you has fallen on us. She goes on to talk about what God did 40 years earlier delivering Israel from Egypt. She goes on to talk about what was done a few months ago with the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. And then she says in verse 11, we had, we, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God in heaven is, is God in heaven above and on earth below. I mean, what a confession of faith for this woman. Rahab knows a lot about propositional truth. Today, you see, there are many that are without excuse compared to Rahab. Many people today that have access to the written scripture that is a revelation of God, many people today who, who work or live next to Christians whose testimonies have been shared, many people today who are walking in darkness are without excuse compared to Rahab, who we would think would have excuse. And yet today there are millions in dark places where the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ is not shining. Even in lands, friends, even in lands where there are thousands of Christians. When we were in La Paz near the end of our mission trip, I remember when we were looking at some streets of artisan crafts and stuff, and at the far end of one of the streets was the superstitious realm of different things being sold. You saw a couple of pictures in the, in the slideshow of llama fetuses hung from their neck and Inca sun gods and candles and trinkets and all kinds of things. These are things that were, were being sold at the far end of that street. And, and I talked with a, a girl, maybe 16 or 17 years old or so, that, that worked in one of these little tiendas. And... In all of this, I, I wanted to ask her permission to take the picture. And so she gave me permission, and we started talking. And I asked her if she ever heard about the, the story of God coming to earth and dying on the cross, Jesus Christ. Did you ever hear that story? And she said, no, I never heard that story. Here was a, a girl living in a land where there are thousands of evangelical churches in La Paz, not having heard about Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself as I left Bolivia, I thought to myself, I, I wonder if there are just as many 16 or 17-year-old girls in Canada living in absolute darkness 
And, and they, instead of being concerned with the supernatural and the Pachamama and the offerings that they give to Pachamama, the Mother Earth and so on, instead of being concerned about that superstitious world, they're just concerned about a whole other world of darkness that has to do with materialism and shopping and, and money and, and boys and whatever else is going on in her life. And yet never hearing about Jesus Christ except if someone's swearing. You see, darkness takes many shapes. And how are they to know unless someone shares with them? Jesus, the story. Friends, you think that it's so well known, you maybe grew up on it. It's not known. It's not really known, friends. And if it's known, it's known in a distorted way. Get next to a life and share with them the gospel. Well, here is this woman that's in an absolute dark place and she, she has enough revelation to say, I'm going to get to know this God of Israel. And she responds, but faith is incomplete if it doesn't end in an appeal to mercy. And so in verses 12 to 14, we notice that Rahab says to the spies, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. She makes an appeal for mercy. And we must not see this appeal as a kind of a bargaining. Okay, I, I save your life, you save mine. As if somehow she could earn her salvation and that of her family. No, you can know for sure that she would have been killed along with all of Jericho had the spies not discerned in her that she was on the side of the mercy of God, that she was pursuing the living God. If the, the hinge of her heart's door was still turning on the Canaanite gods and on the selfish motives of all that it went, instead of on the, the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true and living God, she would have been killed along with all of the people of Jericho. But they discerned in her and they saw in her act of putting it on the line, risking her life, genuine faith. And so she is justified as Abraham was when it's said of him that he, that he did something and it was credited to him as righteousness. Until the time when Jesus Christ would come and all of the sins of Rahab and all of the sins of Abraham and all of our sins as well, looking back to the cross, were laid on Jesus Christ who alone could pay for the penalty of our sin. And so in that very evening, we can imagine as the, as the time is advancing and the troops have gone out of the gates and the gates are shut and now the, the, the two spies are locked inside Jericho. What are they going to do? How are they going to get out of there? And they make this pact. We read about it in chapter 2. And the spies say, okay, here's the deal. Here's a crimson, a scarlet cord and you hang that in the window. And the very window that, that the, these two spies are let out by, and she lets them down by rope, that very window becomes the place that they enter again later on and saves everyone who's in the room. Sounds maybe kind of corny, but when God closes a door, He opens a window. <laughs> I wonder if that saying came from Rahab in the story in Joshua 2. It's an interesting story, you know. If the latter part of Joshua 2, it clearly says, everybody, every one of your family members, a single woman here, she talks about her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, no husband involved, no children. 
She talks about her father, mother, brother, sister. She says, and they say, every one of your family members that's in this room, every one of them is safe. You have our, our word, our lives. But just as serious is anybody that's outside of this room will perish and their blood will be on their own heads. Can you imagine that in Joshua, later on, when, when, they, when they start marching around the walls, can you imagine the urgency of Rahab's voice? Come to my room, come. Don't stay there. Don't dawdle. Be there. Come. What's that an appeal all about? It's an appeal to come to where there's only one refuge for salvation. It's in my room. Do you know that from the New Testament era, early church onward, right till now, people that have taken the book of Joshua have interpreted the scarlet cord to mean the blood of Jesus Christ. Starts with Clement of Rome, the bishop of Rome in the, around 90 AD. And from him onward, we see that this tr interpretation of this scarlet cord in, in Joshua 2 is all about the blood of Jesus. You see, there's only one refuge. There's only one place that's safe. There's only one place to hide, and it's in Jesus Christ and His righteousness that was purchased at the cross. That's the only safe place. What a message we have to give to the lost in our world. There's only one safe place. Don't depend on your own resources. Don't try to resist this. There's only one safe place. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that I may be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is by faith in Christ. And so as I conclude, I just want to encourage you, take a look in your life. Where is it that you see providence knocking on your door? Where is it that faith wants to enter? And as you see God coming to you and requiring you to step up to the faith that He's calling you to, respond with an open heart. Trust in Him. Welcome Him. And recognize that, that He is going to turn, turn whatever it is that you've been fearing. Whether the circumstances you're in seem favorable or not, God is able to make a window of opportunity there. And He's able to save you. He's able to increase your faith. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Father, we thank you for your word and the story of Rahab. What, a, what an incredible woman of faith. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is not a respecter of people in that sense that a certain, certain gender, race, or, or anything else is, is more favorable to you. That age has no distinction either. That, Lord, any, any one of us is going to be written into your grand story, this grand narrative that you're writing in your son, Jesus Christ. Any one of us is going to have our story transformed because of faith. That's what you're looking for. Help, help us, Lord, to be found worthy of it when you come. Thank you for this morning. Continue with us, O oh God, and let this message be upon us as we think about what it means in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. Go in his peace today.